This episode originally aired as a part of my other podcast, Project Shadow. Over there, I have been doing world-building content for a while, and I'm currently moving it all over to this new podcast. New episodes will be appearing soon. I am currently making all of my old content, including Worldbuilding 101 and Worldbuilding 201, available on this podcast as Season 1 and Season 2 of Mythweaving. I hope you enjoy, and don't forget to have the fun. There's a change in the air, and I'm hoping that it's real. I hope that it's not just a passing fad or something that we're doing, that this isn't the cause of the moment, that we're actually going to face the systemic racism, barbarism, segregation, and genocide that we've done in the past, and actually come to terms with it as a society and find a way to equitably and with justice and compassion to move forward. All that's happening as the backdrop as I'm working on the world building for a contemporary urban fantasy that takes place in the United States. Wow. Um, yeah. It's kind of thrown me for a loop. And for those of you who are joining me in World Anvil's World Building Summer Camp in July, let's talk about how we build a world as our own world is changing so rapidly and inviting us to ask so many questions we've never asked before on today's episode of Project Shadow. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, And yeah, this is a lot to take in, especially as I'm in the midst of a world-building project to develop a story that's taking place in the United States. And I have made some decisions. And I want to start there. I very specifically chose to set the story that I'm working on in the 90s. And I did that for a couple reasons. I didn't want to have to deal with how events like 9-11 would affect the world that I'm writing in, not yet. I also didn't want to have to take into effect everything that came after that, the war on terror and, you know, the pandemic and everything that's going on right now. I, I just, there's enough that I want to get done establishing a parallel magical world that exists alongside ours that taking all of the time and energy to do that just, it, it felt like overkill. It felt like it was too much. And so I've decided to set my story in the nineties. And that's partially because of my own nostalgia and the fact that I really miss that goth subculture that I came up in, in the nineties. And it really fits the story and the setting that I'm wanting to write about. So I hope by doing that, it doesn't look like I'm trying to dodge what's going on because I'm not. It's just, I want to get the world established before I have to deal with other issues that are coming down the pike 
especially because there is a possibility in one version of the setting Bible that I've already written, there's a chance that the magical community might get exposed. Dun dun dun! And if that happens, that's going to take me much stronger in the world of alternate history. So, yeah, I've made my decision. I'm ready to do this. The story is set in the 90s. Now let's start developing the races and cultures and ethnicities of this other world. So as we are developing our ethnicities, races, and cultures, and the strife between them for our fictional worlds, oh, we need to realize a couple things, especially people like me. I am generally classified as white. I identify as Irish because that is where my family, well, a large portion of my family is originally from. And so I don't have a right to appropriate anger that doesn't belong to me. I don't have a right to take on the anger of an oppressed minority that I do not belong to, which is one of the reasons why my stories deal a lot more with LGBTQ subjects than racial subjects. But that's something I can't avoid in this story for two reasons. It takes place in the United States and there are various different magical races and ethnicities that do have conflicts. So the first thing I have to do is remember to write from a confessional place and not to take on the anger and outrage of other people's stories. That's not mine to tell. But at the same time, I cannot ignore those outrages, but I have to approach them honestly from the place that I'm coming from, from the voice that I have and from the perspective that I have to offer. Writing allows me to put myself into the mind of someone else, but it does not give me the right to take stories and anger from others. So how do we write from the points of view of our characters without appropriating the anger and rage of others? This is something that I know I'm not going to be perfect on, and I am not expecting you all to be perfect on either. But what's important is to write with the voice of that character from that community, understanding their culture. This is what sensitivity readers are for, should that be necessary. It's one of the reasons why I have at this point decided to shelve some of the ideas that I had for some of the um, Native American characters in the book because I'm having a difficult time getting access to information about the nation and tribe that, that lives in the area, and I don't want to do anything harmful. And that's the main thing that we have to just take to heart. We need to do no harm. As long as we're at least trying to do that, we have our hearts in the right place that puts us on firm footing moving forward. But we do have to understand that just because we're trying to do the right thing doesn't mean we actually are. 
But be honest from the character's perspectives. Be honest from the world's perspective. And do your best to write characters that have a life of their own, that feel honest and aren't just there either as a token character or as a mouthpiece for a political or personal or ideological perspective that you feel should be represented in the story. If we're just tokenizing people, oh, that's patronizing, and we should not ever allow ourselves to do that. Try to be honest, open, and let your characters speak for themselves. The biggest problem for us here is trying to do realistic world building. Because the first thing that you, under, you have to understand as a writer is that you are not trying to capture real life. Real life is boring. Real life is confusing. Real life does not have narrative structure or plot. It may feel like it. It may look like it. And those tools may be helpful for us to understand our lives. But real life is a lot more messy. Our stories need to be about something. And so we're going to be paring things down. When we're doing that, yes, we're trying to create a simulacrum of reality. We're trying to make people feel that these characters, these settings, these events are happening. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that they are fictitious. They are heightened and they are hyper-specific to the story that we're telling. If you're telling a story where you're just inserting a message to sound good and it has absolutely nothing to do with the theme or the plot of the story that you're working on, step back. <laughs> Be very careful because that can come across as extremely patronizing as well. We're here to tell stories that are complete, that are full, and that are rewarding for our readers. We're not here to change the world. We're not here to change minds. We might have that effect, but we can never know that until the pro product actually comes out, until the project is finished. So be open, be honest, be focused on what you're doing. But remember, you're not trying to replicate reality. You're trying to construct a good narrative and a good narrative world. And those are two very different things. One of the best ways to keep ourselves on track is to make sure we are not accidentally including racist, sexist, or homophobic tropes into our world building. This can happen really easily when we're not paying attention. And sometimes if we're even extremely well-intentioned, we can come up with what we feel is a good analogy that either in hindsight or even at the time, doesn't work. A good example of this is a Star Trek episode where they conflate someone's gender identity with a relationship's sexuality. And those are extremely different things. And by trying to analogize this thing that you want to talk about, so it can be acceptable for an audience that may not have been willing to approach that topic, you actually muddied the water and made it not as clear. So my ad simple advice would be try not to analogize because analogies 
very often break down and rely on everyone seeing the elements of those analogies in the same way that you do or that you intended. And intent of an author does not change the impact that it has on readers. A reader may read your well-intentioned allegory or analogy as something that is harmful, hurtful, or biased. And we have to be careful about that. Again, we need to construct characters, worlds, settings, and stories that live for themselves and on their own without having to be too overly heavy-handed in constructing meaning for our readers. A very good example of this is J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter books. And while I feel like it, and I know she feels like, people like me are dunking on her a lot, the analogies that she utilized in the Harry Potter books and that made it into the movies show how this kind of analogy can really be harmful if it's not thoroughly vetted and thought through. You see, Voldemort and the Death Eaters believe that purebloods, people who are naturally born with magic, are superior to muggles who are born without magic, or muggle-borns who spontaneously have magic. And I can see how she saw that as a problem and introduced the idea of the squibs. Well, sometimes in a pureblood family, people are born without magic. So a squib is to a pureblood what a muggle-born is to a muggle. The problem is, in this racialization, we're saying some people are naturally magical, and the other people, well, every now and then one of them gets lucky and has magic. And that is problematic. It is actually giving a racial validity to the racial bias of Voldemort and the Death Eaters, and that is problematic. The same is true with her use of lycanthropy as an analogy for AIDS because she makes one of her main werewolves a character who likes to seek out small children to infect them and talks greedily about what they like to do to small children. This makes werewolves a bit creepy and homophobic when you understand the analogy she was going for with them. Now, having said that, Many people saw what she was trying to do and actually took the right messages out of those books that people should be allowed to be themselves and not be judged for the circumstances of their birth. But that doesn't take away from the problematic nature of those depictions. So what are we to do? My solution to this is a very simple maxim that I, I wish I could remember where I got it from. I've actually looked this quote up on a couple occasions and I found it attributed to several different people. If you know who it is, please let me know. But seek perfection knowing that you're never going to find it. That's what we have to do. I want my stories to be perfect. I want my worlds to be perfect. I want people to love them and care for them and enjoy them as much as I do. I know that I will never reach that level of attainment. I will never have ideal perfection because I'm human and I exist in time. 
Perfection belongs to the gods, not to us mere mortals. But just because it is something that I can never attain does not mean that it isn't something I should strive for. I want my stories to mean something for people. I want them to be a good escape from their regular lives. I want them to be fun, enjoyable, and everything that they are to me. As long as I stay focused on that goal and do everything in my power to make it come about, then I have done a good job. I also need to listen to criticism and take it in for what it is and not feel that I am being attacked because I got something wrong, even when I am being attacked for something I got wrong. Errors happen. We have to accept So as I'm working on this world, I got an idea for a couple short stories that I could write. You know, folk tales that the characters in setting would have been raised on. Stories that they would have heard as children. Stories that would have meant something to them. And I thought to myself, you know, I should take the time to write them. Because then I will have a better understanding of the world, the characters, and the culture they grew up in. So I did. I've, I've, at this point of recording, I've written one of these stories, and I love it. I think it's really, really good and extremely preachy. <laughs> and that isn't exactly what I was going for. I don't want my setting to come across as preachy because, again, I want it to be fun, exciting, and an experience for people, not just me lecturing people. And this story has been a real tightrope for me to walk because it's a children's story. It's a fable. And as such, it, it has that moralizing that you would expect in a children's story. And I need to make sure that if I allow myself to do that, that it is in that context and not in the main story. Because what I found myself doing is working out my own inner conflict through the characters of the short story in a way that helped me understand the perspectives of the world. That's great. That's wonderful. Maybe in the edits and the revisions, I should find a way to tone it down some without losing that spirit that's in it. Because again, preachiness wins no one over. You want people to enjoy your stories, not sit down for a lecture. I'm learning that the hard way. At the same time, I have to be very careful because like every other writer, I have an inner critic, a little voice in the back of my head that says, oh, you're wrong. You're so wrong. Nobody's going to like this. Why are you using those words? They're terrible. They're terrible. And in doing a story that I can see the flaws clearly in it, it, it makes that voice a little bit stronger and louder in the back of my head. But that doesn't mean I should listen to it, and it doesn't mean that I should give in to it. Because we are going to make mistakes. We are going to have problems. We can't be paralyzed for that or by that. You see, 
If I didn't do something because I thought I would be wrong, one, I would never write science fiction because I love physics, I love studying physics, I do not have a PhD in quantum mechanics. And I don't need one to write science fiction. Yes, I know from experience that people will read my science fiction and come back at me with uh, this theory and that theory and this math and that math at how I'm wrong, and that's fine. I can either learn and adapt or just go, it's an alternate dimension that works a little bit differently because it's fiction and I'm allowed to do that. Risk being wrong for good reasons. Don't risk being wrong for the sake of being wrong. Look, if you're telling a good story, if you have compassion in your heart, if you're doing everything in your power to do no harm, move forward. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. Don't. That will only hold you back and accomplish nothing. The more voices we have, the better we are, the more enriched we are as a society. Don't silence yourself. Others will try to do that for you. And don't be afraid to say my favorite refrain. I say it all the time. I do. I don't know everything. I don't. You don't. None of us do. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. I don't have the answers. And that in and of itself was the most liberating thing that went through my head as I'm working on this. Because I'm working on a story where Concord is paramount to the magic. So they have to get along to get along. But there's still strife there. So how do I balance that? And initially, I felt this extreme, extreme pull on me telling me that I had to have the answers, I had to provide the answers, I had to know exactly what was going on in the story at all times, and I had to be the one that made it work. And I don't. That's not my job. If I want to write Star Trek, I don't have to explain to you exactly how the Federation and the Earth Alliance itself got rid of poverty, crime, and war. I can just say that they got rid of poverty, crime, and war. If I'm writing a story that explores those topics, I can explore those topics. But in general, I don't need to know how they do that, unless it's relevant to the story. You see, this goes back to what we talked about before. We're not trying to recreate history. We're trying to tell compelling stories. Sometimes it's just enough to say that it is. And sometimes it's important to dig into it and do more. Knowing which time it is will save you a lot of heartache as you go forward on your projects. More than anything, we as writers, we as creatives, we as fans of fiction in all of its forms need more than ever to not be a part of the problem. I mean, think about it when the Foundation trailer came out and people that I would almost bet you money had never read the books started complaining because they were seeing black and female characters. And, oh my goodness, a black female character. 
in the story? Well, it's going to require adaptation. One, because I don't know if you've ever read Foundation, but it skips centuries often and with reckless abandon. And it's an ideas hero story, and the characters are very secondary to how the story works. See, the idea of psychohistory is all that mattered, and the actual characters are just playing their role to show how that idea plays out. If you're going to do a TV series, well, you're going to have to actually create interesting and compelling characters, because that's how TV works. So we have to be part of the solution, not the problem. We can't complain about every little thing when, oh, they changed the race of a character or they changed the gender of a character. And at the same time, we can't hold ourselves back and be silent because silence in the face of racism, sexism, homophobia, and transphobia is tacit support for them. You're either working to make the world better or allowing the world to stay as it is. And that's the path we have to walk together to get to the future we want to arrive at. So write your story. Write your story. Write with your voice. Write with your abandon. Write what you want to write. Because that, more than anything, is what we need right now. That, more than anything, is the salve that will save us. Because for too long, too many of our voices have been silenced. Too many of our voices have been pushed to the background and kept from being heard. Write honestly from your heart. And I, I can hear what you're saying now. But what if that person's heart is a racist or sexist? Well then, one, it's, it's good to know that about them so that we can take that into effect when we decide whether or not to support their work in the future. So even then, it can be of value to all of us. But I think the real answer here is realizing that we're probably all racist, sexist, and homophobic, or heterophobic, or transphobic in some way, shape, or form. I know a lot of my transition has been about learning about my own internalized misogyny that told me that I couldn't be femme because I'm not pretty enough or skinny enough. That's my own internalized misogyny speaking. These are things that we have to overcome as people, and it's the great task of our lives to make ourselves better in every way that we possibly can, not just financially. So yeah, if you find yourself wanting to be better, be better. Write your story with your voice, because we need to hear you right now. Don't be afraid. Just don't be afraid. Right now, there's so much going on to be afraid of with the pandemic and the civil unrest and 
the nudniks with guns running around doing things. It can be a scary world out there. We don't need to scare ourselves into silence. If you have a story that you think is the stupidest story in the world that nobody but you will like, go ahead and write it anyway. Draw it. Sing it. Whatever moves you. Tell that story. Because it's yours. And whether or not you think anybody else wants it, we need it. Because you never know if those little quirks that make you feel weird, bizarre, that make you feel like an outcast, could be the thing that opens the eyes of others to see the world in a whole new way. In a way that liberates them from the chains that hold them back. That makes somebody else feel like, oh wait, somebody else feels like that? Maybe I'm not the weirdo I thought I was. Maybe I'm not alone. Because of the many things that we can do to each other in this life, the worst one is the one we do to ourselves. When we tell ourselves that we are alone and that we're unloved, unlovable, and that we deserve bad things to happen to us. Those are lies from the pit of hell. And we need to overcome them for our sake and for the sake of all generations in the future. Tell your story. We need it. That's what I'm going to be doing for the month of July. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. This is the new format I'm playing around with for these weekly shows that I'm going to be doing at least through the month of, well, starting today and through the month of July as I'm doing Camp NaNoWriMo and for Camp NaNoWriMo, I'm doing World Builder Summer Camp, which you can find out more about over at worldanvil.com. I'm playing around with format and I would like to know what you think. And down in the show notes, you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean, but let me know any feedback, any topics you'd like to hear discussed in the show, any questions, any comments at all. I would love to hear from you. You can also hit me up on social media. I'm C. Dorset on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can find links to everything that I do, including the world that I'm building over at projectshadow.com. There are also links in the show notes. I'm building up Dragons at Night right now and having a blast doing it. If you've got a buck, you can pass my way. Thank you very much. Down in the show notes, you'll find a link to both, well, to three things now, to my to listener support, to my Patreon, and to my coffee account. Thank you to everybody who has helped me out over the years. It means the world to me. And I... I hope that I've given you something of value in return. If you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, that's perfectly all right. But if you know of anybody you think would like anything that I do, please share it with them. That helps me out more than you know. Alrighty, I'm really nervous about this because this is the first time on this new format and I hope you like it. Until next time, which will be a week, remember, from now Stay well, stay safe, and don't forget to have the fun. Bye.